My name is Aaron Zier. Uh, and on behalf of uh, Eureka Bible Church and our church body, I just want to say thank you to you at Crosspoint for hosting us this evening. Uh, it's something that uh, I know I look forward to uh, in the uh, however many years that we've been doing this now that we gather together on this evening as, as, a, as a larger expression of the church and celebrate together and reflect on uh, on the, the sacrifice of our Savior, his death on the cross. Back on August 21st, 2017, many Americans got to participate in what became known as the Great American Eclipse. You remember this? This was when a total solar eclipse made its way across the United States. It started up in Oregon, made its way all the way across down to South Carolina. And the path of totality, that, that's the, the portion of the eclipse where it actually gets noticeably darker for a few minutes. And if it's clear, you can see some of the stars come out. That path of totality made its way across the southern portion of uh, our state. Did anyone travel down to see that? There had to be some. All right, not as many as I would have thought. But yeah, it's, it's, I'm told it's quite an experience. And in fact, because these things are predictable, many people make plans to travel to the path of totality when a total eclipse happens in order to marvel at, at the phenomenon that takes place. Now, the bad news is that these total solar eclipses aren't very frequent, and so a person may only have one chance in their lifetime to, to go to one that's close to where they live, and we just had one that happened like six years ago. That's the bad news. The good news is one year from tomorrow, there will be another total solar eclipse. This one's going to enter down in Texas. It's going to make its way up to Maine, and it will again cross over the southern portion of our state. Um, and the path of totality is actually going to cross right over Vincennes, Indiana, which is where Megan and I uh, lived for the first five years of our marriage. And, and we're already making plans to travel down and visit and be there for that. So I guess we'll be one of those people that, uh, that will have made that kind of a trip. But uh, we look forward to being there ourselves and experiencing it, taking our kids to, to see something like that. You know, it, it's just, it's rather ironic that, that when the light of the sun is predicted to go dark in the middle of the day, that people flock to that event and they, and they want to be as close as possible to it, really. We have feelings of excitement and awe for that type of thing. But when other forms of darkness come into our life, overtake our life, we experience completely different emotions than that, don't we? Things like despair, uh, anxiety, hopelessness. Tonight we're going to be talking about another time that the sun went dark in the middle of the day. And we're going to see how the physical darkness of that event really corresponded to the spiritual darkness that was present at that moment. So before we get to that specific event, there, there's a little foundational work that's, that's good to do. In, in the Bible, there's this consistent contrast that is shown between good and evil. And often this contrast is, is described as 
light and darkness. Of course, light equating with good, darkness equating with evil. And so, uh, really what happens is when, when God's people found themselves in evil, in darkness, they, they would often cry out to God for light. And so, I'll just give you some examples of it. The book of Job, you see this theme over and over again in the book of Job. In the midst of the darkness that he endured, he wondered why it appeared that evil men seemed to have light while he groped around in the darkness. Uh, In Psalms, we find statements like these. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Send your light and your truth. O Lord, you cover yourself with light as with a garment. In Isaiah, the people looked around hoping for justice and light, but felt that it was all darkness. The, the, writers, uh, the writer of Lamentations laments that he's been brought into darkness without any light. So you see it over and over again in the Bible. The, the opening lines of Genesis, there we see God creating light out of darkness. But even so, much darkness would still exist in the world due to the introduction of sin just a couple chapters later. And since that day in Eden, when God's people have longed for, what they've longed for is is light. Light to completely overtake the world and cast out that darkness. And that's the context into which Jesus was born. Jesus, who who would later rightly refer to himself as the light of the world, came into this world that was filled with darkness. At his birth, when when Jesus' parents presented him at the temple, Simeon took baby Jesus in his arms and proclaimed that his eyes looked upon a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Simeon equated Jesus with light. John, as he began his gospel about Jesus, proclaimed that that as Jesus came into the world, light shines in the darkness. Jesus is the true light who gives light to everyone. So John equated Jesus with light. At the beginning of his ministry, at the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah and proclaimed that the people had now seen a great light. He said that on them a light has dawned. So Jesus considered himself the light as well. That's wonderful news, isn't it? In in a world filled with darkness, light came into it. In a world that had been plagued by darkness due to sin was now host to the one who shines light and brings light and is light. Jesus is the light. He said that whoever would follow him would not walk in darkness, but would have the light of life. That's great news, isn't it? In a world with, filled with darkness, that is so great. If you've ever been in a, in a dark house when the electricity went off, or you've been out camping on a dark evening, or, or, or just been anywhere where there was a lack of light, you know the peace and the relief and the calm that comes when that first ray of light shines forth, right? We know that feeling. Well, Jesus, the light of the world, brought that into the world through his presence and through his work. And how, how, how joyful it must have been when Jesus performed all the miracles that he performed and then, 
entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday to the praises of the crowd. And, and you think that, that just, uh, just a short time before, just a few miles outside of town, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, what excitement there must have been for, for what was coming next. The light of the world had come into the world and the darkness cannot stand against it, cannot overcome it. Jesus was proving that. So doesn't that mean all light all the time from that point forward? And would there ever be any darkness ever again? I think about what confusion there must have been in that last week of Jesus' life when he starts talking about, and he talked about his upcoming death before that, but, but during that last week, he talks about a grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying in order to bear fruit. He said that he would be lifted up, except, except he wasn't talking about being glorified, he was talking about being lifted up on the cross. He, he even said that the light would be among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Jesus, what, 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 are you, what are you talking about with those statements? What do you mean? I mean, as Holy Week continued to unfold, it wasn't just Jesus' words, but there were startling events that took place. The Jewish leaders, Jesus' own people, brought the full force of their fury upon him. Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples to those religious leaders. The rest of Jesus' disciples fled during his arrest. Peter denied three times that he even knew him. Jesus was taken captive, mocked, scorned, doubted, beaten, spit upon, traded for a criminal, sentenced to death, humiliated by being stripped naked, and ultimately was nailed onto a cross to die. I think what Jesus' followers must have felt in their hearts was then physically put on display as Jesus hung on the cross. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 27, if you'd like to follow along. This is Matthew 27, verse 45, starting in verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah, could, could, whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus, who shone the light, brought light, and is the light, was killed. And that afternoon, in more ways than one, it appeared that darkness reigned. When Matthew says that darkness came over the land from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, he's referencing noon until 3 p.m. During the brightest part of the day, everything went dark. 
I mean, let's try to picture that <laughs> for just a moment. I mean, it's, it's, it's around sunset now as we speak. So, so the sun's going down. It's getting dark outside. And because the sun's going down, because this is the age of electricity, we've got lights in here, right? Helps us to see. But imagine that, let's imagine that the sun has already gone down. It's dark outside. And, and just as I'm speaking, the lights, the electricity went off and, and the lights just go out, right? Which I heard, you know, until they fixed things about a month ago, would have been a possibility. <laughs> and I kind of debated maybe having somebody shut the lights off, but I didn't, didn't want <laughs> to send Dave into a panic. But if the lights were to hypothetically go out, right? I, I imagine in about 30 seconds there would be all these little lights that would be coming from our cell phones that we would turn on, right? We, we, can, we can instantly create light when, when, the, when the darkness comes upon us suddenly. But, but put yourself at Calvary that day at noon. No electricity, so, so no dusk to dawn lights are, are kicking on when that happens. I imagine no torches would have been lit. It was noon. I mean, why, why waste it? You didn't need it at that point. No cell phones, no flashlights, no, no lighters in one's pocket. No, no way to instantly create light. How frightening and unsettling must that have been when at noon everything goes dark? I mean, the sky getting darker for a few minutes when a solar eclipse is predicted, that's one thing. But everything going dark for three hours when no one expected it, that, that's quite another thing. Darkness does not prevail in the middle of the day like that. And yet on that day, it appeared to have done just that. For three hours, it was dark. Likewise, darkness does not prevail over the light of the world. And yet on that day, it appeared to have done just that, didn't it? So is that it? I mean, had, had darkness indeed won? Had, had the light of the world and the light of the sun, the, the, the two most stable sources of light for our planet, had they both been snuffed out on the same day? I, I mean, we know the answer to that, right? It's, it's easy 2,000 years removed to, to say, well, of course not. Of course that's not what happened. But, but would you and I have been so sure on that suddenly dark afternoon as Jesus hung on the cross, would we have been that sure that darkness was not winning? When we are in the midst of darkness like that, I think it's easier to forget the power and the authority of the light. Probably more likely to question if, if light will ever return or, or if, if darkness will reign forever. I mean, on that dark afternoon when the sun went dark as, as the first hour stretched into the second, I think maybe our optimism of the sun's return might have been fading as well. And then as the second hour stretches into the third hour, we may have found ourselves trying to imagine this new existence upon the earth that's marked by no light from the sun. Maybe reality might have been kicking in as we thought the new reality would be. But on that third hour then, as darkness faded and the sun burst forth once again in, in all its radiance as bright as it has ever been, I, I imagine that, 
we would have been flooded with relief and comfort and hope, right, to see the sun after three what probably felt like very long hours, it finally comes back. The light from the sun returns. As that first day stretched into the second, I imagine that our optimism of the sun's return, capital S-O-N, might have faded a little bit too. And as the second day stretched into the third, we may have found ourselves trying to imagine this, this new existence upon earth marked by continual spiritual darkness. But then on that third day, right, as the sun burst forth from the tomb, brighter and even more radiant than he had ever been before on the earth, I imagine that we would have been flooded with relief and comfort and hope right? I mean, the light of the world had come into the world, and even though it seemed for a moment, even if it was a long moment, like darkness had prevailed, Jesus proved victorious, right? Just like the sun came back after the sun and the sky came back after three hours, the light of the world rose on the third day. I mean, (laughs) hallelujah, right? Darkness did not prevail over either one. The sun in the sky, that's great news, but (laughs) over the light of the world, that is incredible news. And here's where the rubber meets the road for, for you and for me today. For those of us who who are here who are followers of Jesus, there came that moment in our lives where we understood and we accepted that Jesus is the light of the world. He came into the world to defeat sin and death. He redeems us and restores us and reconciles us through his death on the cross. And and when we came to accept that reality and submitted ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we crossed over from death to life. We were adopted into God's family. We, We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God became present within us. And in that moment, it may have seemed like the light of Jesus was shining so brightly in our lives that darkness would just never again be present. Things are great. You know, I'm I'm a new creation. I'm in Jesus. Darkness is gone forever, right? But then we continue moving forward with our lives. And because this world is fallen and because we are not yet fully sanctified as we stand here, Because the kingdom of God has not yet fully broken into this existence, there are times when darkness appears to prevail. And that comes in all kinds of forms, doesn't it? It it might be emotional darkness in our life that appears to prevail. It might be relational darkness that appears to prevail. It might be darkness brought about by an addiction. Darkness brought about by abuse, darkness brought about by disease, darkness brought about by death, darkness brought about by spiritual forces of evil, darkness brought about by our own pride, our own stubbornness. Any follower of Jesus who lives in this world for more than a few minutes comes to recognize that there is still darkness present in this world. And at times it can seem like, it can feel like that darkness is overwhelming 
and, and that it's crushing and that it's winning. In those moments especially, may we remember that at the third day at Calvary, Jesus rose. The light of the world broke through and shone again. It seemed like darkness had won for a while, but then the truth shone forth in all its glory. So, whatever darkness you face in your life right now, know that the light of the world has the final say. I mean, John wrote in his gospel that the darkness has not overcome the light, and he is absolutely right. Absolutely right. Even if it might seem like it, even if it's that between 10 and 3, right, and the light in the sky is dark, or if it's Saturday and it seems like, man, Jesus is still in the tomb, darkness has not overcome the light. God brought light of darkness light out of darkness at the very beginning of time, he will bring light out of the darkness that you and I face in our lives. That's what he does. That's who he is. I, Paul wrote about this in Colossians in so many different ways. He, he, he says that, that in Jesus we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He said we are delivered from the domain of darkness. He said every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He said, we are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That is the firm and the steadfast promise for us who are in Jesus. Whatever the darkness is in our world right now, it will not overcome the light of Jesus. It won't. I, I can tell you, our family has faced darkness this past year. Darkness that's felt overwhelming at times, and in many ways, it felt like the suddenness of the sun going dark at noon. And, and we've had to cling to that truth, that the darkness does not overcome the light. And, and, and even though the darkness we faced will probably not be completely vanquished this side of heaven, we hold on to the promise and the truth from God about the ultimate destiny of the darkness that we face. And so I want to leave us tonight with this hopeful promise. This is from Revelation chapter 22, the end of the story. Right At, at, at this point in the progression of things, all will have been made right in creation, and, and it will remain that way from, from this point forward, as John is writing. And listen to one way in which this new reality is communicated. He says this in Revelation 22, verse 5. He says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I mean, what an incredible promise about the destiny of darkness. Night will be no more on the new earth. Now, the gardener in me has questions about how that all works out, right? Plants need alternating cycles of light and dark, but, but this is a promise speaking more about spiritual darkness than it is about physical darkness. And because of that, my soul within me is overjoyed 
and at peace because of that promise. Night will be no more. It doesn't matter how dark it feels right now, how long the darkness has been, has been present. In Jesus, the time is coming. It, it will be no more. It will be no more. Pastor Dave's going to come lead us in communion. And, and as the elements are being distributed, the song No More Night by David Phelps is, is going to be playing over the speakers. And I, I encourage you to allow the words of that song and the promise it speaks of to fill you with hope in the midst of darkness, whatever that darkness is that you face. Thanks, Pastor Aaron. Uh, we're going to have uh, elders and pastors from uh, each of the churches handing out the uh, elements. Uh, these go down the rows, uh, the wafers on the top, the juices underneath. If you're a follower, a believer in Christ, you're welcome and encouraged to take communion. Uh, these elements remind us uh, of his body, his broken body, his shed blood. They remind us here in this gathering that we are family in Christ. And so we, I, we are in Christ, not in a church name, a church denomination. We are in Christ as brothers and sisters. And so when we take those elements, it reminds us that we take of the one body and the one blood, the one Savior who we are declaring as our Savior tonight and remembering through communion. And so as the elements are passed, the song will be played. This will be an opportunity for us to pray and to uh, celebrate to remember, and then we will take the elements together as a unified family of God afterwards. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Father, thank you for sending your son as the light of the world. Thank you that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, a people living in darkness, in need of rescue, in need of light, in need of salvation. And that by his wounds, we have been healed. We have been set free. That he bore the penalty of our sin completely in full upon that cross and it is finished and our sin has been paid for past, present, and future. And we've been set free not to serve ourselves but to serve and worship you alone. Empower us by your spirit to do that for your glory. Empower us with your spirit to be a city on a hill, a light to the world around us in the spheres of life that you have providentially placed us into. We are grateful that the truth, that the darkness cannot overcome the light, that that truth remains long into eternity. And thank you that darkness, its days are numbered to remind us to be a people with bold faith, with extravagant love that we would declare the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and brought us into marvelous light by grace alone and through faith alone. We 
declare our devotion to you, our worship of you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. We are so glad that all of you came into worship here tonight. This is always one of my favorite services. I just love that our church families come together every year and worship like this. I had a friend of mine that was a non-Christian ask me a couple years ago, why do you call this Good Friday? There's death, there's beatings, there's mocking. Why do we call it good? And I always say it's not the what or the why, it's the whom. It's the who, that's why we call it good, because of our good Savior, because of four words, Jesus in my place. That's why it is Good Friday. And I wanted to close by reading a passage of Scripture that came to mind this week that Paul wrote in talking about our being united to Christ through his death. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought into nothing, so we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, we are blessed to be in your house to worship this, morning, this evening. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to, to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family together. And Lord, tonight we remember, we celebrate what you did on the cross on our behalf. Lord, we did not deserve it. We cannot earn it. Lord, you have given us your grace by your death and what we will celebrate on Sunday, your resurrection. So Lord, help us to be united with you in your death and your resurrection. Lord, sin no longer has dominion over us as followers of Christ, followers of you. And so Lord, help us to be uh, reminded of all of these things this weekend, Lord, that we will ponder the cross, we will ponder your resurrection and ponder what you have done for us in giving us eternal life. Thank you for each person in this room, and I just pray that you will continue to guide us toward a deeper intimacy and union with you. And Lord, I pray that tonight we were able to worship you and thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, but first and foremost, that you died on that cross 2,000 years ago, and you rose again on the third day so we could be saved and given eternal life, eternity with you. Thank you for tonight. As we go our separate ways tonight, I pray that we will look for ways to glorify your name in all the things that we do. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>